0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: This episode is brought to you by Heritage Foods, an online and wholesale distributor of heritage breed meat and poultry. Learn more at heritagefoods.com.
2: I'm HRN's Communications Director, Kat Johnson, with a preview of this week's episode of Meat in 3. I I think we should realize that we more or less have a broken food system. When 800 million of us go to bed hungry, uh, 600 million are obese, uh, we waste 30% of our food, then something is fundamentally wrong. We'll introduce you to one food waste solution happening in Asia. They introduced a system where residents were issued an electronic ID card. That would open an automated bin and enable them to weigh the food waste being dropped off. And then they would be charged, you know, in a certain amount of money for the weight of that food.
1: And we'll take a look at some of the real struggles happening closer to
2: home.
3: How is it possible that a meal that was perfectly fine to consume
2: at 10.59 p.m., then becomes waste at 11 p.m. So tune in to this week's Meet and 3 on Heritage Radio Network, available wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: Hey, hey, you're listening to Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio Network. It's fall today. It's feeling crisp in its beautiful, beautiful fall day. Um, we're here at the home of of Heritage Radio Network at Roberta's Pizza in Brooklyn, and I'm your host, as usual, Kathy Irway. So um, we're talking about Scandinavian food. Um, this is a cuisine that has been in the spotlight ever since a little restaurant named Noma was be- named the best restaurant in the world. And I think it's safe to say that the culture of Scandinavian countries has been trickling into the mainstream more and more. Um, there's concepts like the Danish word hig, which... Roughly translates to coziness, and I hope I'm saying that right. Hig, Um, and then there's the the concept of fika or tradition of fika, which is a Swedish daytime coffee break. But what about Norway? Its food, its culture, its people, its buzz phrases, (laughs) and uh, so I'm really glad that um, joining me to talk about all that and more is none other than one of the most prominent voices um, in Norwegian food today. She. Is the author of North Wild Kitchen her blog, award-winning blog? Um, it was named the best blog of the year by Editor's Choice um, by Severn Magazine in 2016. And she now has a book called North Wild Kitchen. So it is Norwegian food blogger, author, and um, all-around wonderful chef. It is Nevada Berg. Hi, Nevada. Hi, Kathy. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Well, thank you so much for joining. What time is it there in Norway?
2: It's 7 o'clock right now. Okay, so PM, almost dinner
1: time. Say. so.
2: Thank- it actually passed. That's an interesting cultural no. thing. Is that In Norway, we eat dinner much earlier, probably mm. around 4.35. Every day so or just
1: Sundays or every, weekends?
2: No, every day. Oh every gosh. day. And I'm not sure if it's because... Um, well, work weeks are actually... You get home earlier. Mm-hmm. Usually you start early and you finish 3, 3.30. Oh,
3: my gosh. If you have
2: kids, I've got a little one. Uh-huh. Then you end up eating dinner, yeah, around 4.35. So... I was oh. Like, oh, Actually, we finished already. <laughs> wow. Okay. I well, know. I know. Is it bedtime different. yet? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I know, Soon. Really? Okay. Well, it's actually it's actually really dark right now. Mm. Uh, of course, it stays light until midnight mm. or past midnight in the summer. But now it's getting darker and darker, so it's dark and mm. it feels like it's bedtime, but it's not. Okay. No, no. Don't so... worry. We don't we don't go to bed too early. <laughs> you
1: know? Right. But it's <laughs> a changing seasons right now too, um, with the fall sort of in full swing now. And uh, um, so, so, okay. So Nevada, you moved to a beautiful picturesque valley called Nomdal in the heart of Norway. Um, tell me a little bit about what that's like, where it is geographically, what the climate is like, and um, yeah, give us a sense of, uh, of where you are right now.
2: Yeah, so we are in this valley, Numedal, and it's actually uh, known as the medieval valley, and that's because it has the most um, medieval structures still standing from the medieval ages hmm. in all of Norway. So mm-hmm. it's kind of a little bit of a hidden gem in a sense because it's also very it's inland. Um, we are about we're in the I would say all the way south, but we're a little bit south, but in the center. So mm-hmm. we would be between Oslo and Bergen. Mm. It actually used to be a big trading point. It was a big crossroads for the two major cities. Mm. Um, But we are closer to Oslo. So we are just at the cusp of where uh, Hadamavida is. It's Europe's largest plateau. And then, so we kind of come down from this plateau where the reindeer would be running. And then you come down a little bit. And then we are right here in this little mountainous valley. Uh, There's 1,400 people that live in I, they would call it a village uh okay. it wouldn't even be a town <laughs> and it's so it is picturesque it's great actually great weather we have all four seasons so we can get a lot of snow in the winter but we can have a really lovely summer oh, it's goodness. not as rainy as say Bergen would be Bergen is known mm-hmm. for the rain okay so it's mild temperate and it's you know just it's just stunning for me I love the mountains I'm from originally from Salt Lake City in Utah mm-hmm. my family's from Colorado. So the mountains are kind of in our, in our blood a bit. Wow. So I do feel quite at home here.
1: Uh, have you read, uh, growth of the soil by New Thompson, a classic sort of Norwegian novel about, I guess, making do on the land in Norway? Um, I haven't, actually. Oh, okay. Never mind. It just reminds me. I'm writing me of,
2: it down right now. Okay. <laughs> I, must, I must read
1: that. <laughs> anyway, it, it just reminds amazing. me of maybe that's, uh, you know, just moving to somewhere that is very opportune for farming because um, mm-hmm. uh, you and your husband bought a farm, right? A medieval, was it a medieval farm too?
2: or? Well, we, we do, well, we have buildings mm-hmm. um, dates back to around the 16th mm. or the 1600s, I should say, the 17th century. Uh, and our, the farm itself. Is first noted uh, in the 1600s, but of course it's probably a bit older. Perhaps. Um, But that's where the history kind of starts, from the books. Oh, So we have, but our our house itself is a little bit newer. It was built in the 50s. But the buildings we have around us, we have a a blacksmith, we have two barns, and we have what's called the sabour, which is a uh, food storage house. Right. So you'll see a lot of those around. So that's like but a it's cold. It is a small farm. Okay,
1: yeah. tell me about this cellar. So it's like an outdoors, um, outside of the main building of the house. That is right, a separate sort of standing um, storage, like closet, I guess. Um, yeah.
2: Well, it's a, it would be a, it would be a proper house, mm. if you will. It okay. um, it sits up on four legs. It's above the ground. That was to prevent any mice from coming in because mm-hmm. the it's really big wooden log structures. Mm-hmm. It's a special form that they would use to build it. And so it has a bit of holes through it because it needed to air through. You would dry, you would hang your cured meats there, your fish, your flatbread, mm-hmm. anything that you would need to store throughout the winter mm-hmm. would be in there. So it's usually, it, it could be one story, but it's usually two story, could even be three stories. Wow. And Depending so on how much you want to do. The proper structure. Yeah. Wow. yeah, exactly. And how much you had and how big your farm was and wealth, of course, at the time.
1: And you've been using it so too to salt and preserve some. Uh, what was it? The first thing. It, it sounds like you did a leg of lamb, a salt cured, the curing. Yeah, yeah.
2: We, every year, in fact, we we're gonna we're gonna work a little bit on it to fix it because the humidity level now. We think we'd like to to get it right. So we are actually just mm-hmm. started the curing process for our sheep leg, which is senilor, and then the ribs of a lamb, and that's the piniches, and that's a traditional Christmas meal that they would eat. Uh, I would say about mo- half of Nora would eat. And so we've actually got it. We we do have a basement. So it's actually hanging when you walk in the door. We mm-hmm. just have a bunch of, there's like two legs and four lamb ribs just hanging from the uh, ceiling. <laughs> and they're going to be there, you know, for the next two months. So <laughs> Oh, my goodness.
1: I would be so, into- I would be very worried myself about like ruining some perfectly good lamb legs or ribs. Um how did you, is this something that you ever did growing up in Salt Lake City or is it, did you have to, you know, learn when you came to Norway?
2: I, I definitely learned it from when we came. I, I've never done any anything sort of like this before. But um, my husband's family is actually where they kind of introduced it to me. We've been married now for thirteen years, and uh, so I met his family. That was about fourteen years ago.
1: And they're all Norwegian. And I remember right? for the
2: yeah. they're all Norwegian. They're mm-hmm. they're they're from Bergen, so they live in Bergen. And we went there for the first time. It was for the first Christmas, and it, that's what they typically eat on the the west coast anyway. is is this pinnisher, these cured lamb ribs. So he had his dad makes them by himself every year. Mm-hmm. So uh, they were just hanging, and you could walk down the hallway, and he's like, "What's that smell? <laughs> you know?" And you're like, "Oh, it's." Just lamb ribs that have been curing for you know for about eight weeks now, and and then you know so he kind of taught us how to do it and and I think it's really it's not so hard it kind of seems a bit like oh maybe that seems too difficult or I have to get it just right and the truth is because it's a curing process because you're using the salts and mm-hmm. uh, to kind of work into the meat as long as you have a, a the right temperature and you kind of keep an eye on it and the humidity is low then. You know, you can just let it hang and you can forget about it for the most mm. part, and I'm, then go to it. So it's actually really simple. You just have to do it. Okay. It. Wow. Um,
1: oh, I love you. Have to try it. Yeah. Well, you. It sounds like you're sharing all these, you know, family recipes, um, recipes passed down through generations, um, that are, you know, you're sharing this through your blog and now your book in a way that it's accessible to to anyone who wants to give this a try. Throughout your own sort of on the you know, learning in the moment um, as you go along, your journey. so it's it's really it's really um, wonderful that you're sharing that. And um, you write in the beginning, you write, uh, the more I study about Norway's food culture, the more I grasp its simultaneous simplicity and complexity. Tell me a little bit about what you mean about that and what what are these dueling um, sort of values?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, kind of when you take a food culture for face value,
3: mm-hmm.
2: you really can find something that's quite simple about it. You know, you can see that there are recipes that have been passed down, and yes, it's the things that maybe people associate with it already, such as lefsa. And and you see that, that the process of making certain things is quite simple, and that it's just what it's always been. But then there is the complexity of, of dishes that, you know, maybe that are Norwegian, but yet at the same time, they're not Norwegian, and Mm. where they've come from, and Uh and their roots, and the evolution that the food culture has taken on. For example, uh, the national dish in Norway is forakol, which is basically lamb and cabbage. So it's a layer of lamb and cabbage into... Forakol.
1: Okay. Got got it. Mm
2: -hmm. And, which means lamb in cabbage, actually. And uh, so it's this layer of lamb, cabbage, lamb, cabbage, and black pepper, and that's just stews on, a, on the stove for a few hours and it's delicious
3: mm. and it's
2: the national dish but when you start to study the history and the roots of it it's actually traced back to most likely back to Iceland mm. so it's an interesting wow. complexity I think of food culture in that certain cultures take on dishes that you know others maybe that's where it started from but they, it didn't take on as, as, as well so then it, it gets moved over it gets adapted and then another culture really brings it to their heart and it becomes theirs
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And I, I find that very fascinating, and I find that there is, um, you know, again, when I talk about lefta or, or these dishes that you think, this is iconic in Norwegian, right. but there's hundreds and hundreds of lefta recipes throughout the country. Hmm. There's different textures, different thickness, different ingredients, and it's amazing how how it does vary within a country that does only has, so, you know, 5 million people, but they're all spread out. And you think from next door, neighbor to neighbor, it wouldn't be so different, but it is. And so I think there's this history, there's this culture, there's, you know, wars, there's religion, there's all these elements that have played a role in shaping the food culture to make it what it is today. And of course, it continues to change because of everything else that's happening.
3: Mm-hmm. So it's a,
2: it's simple, and yet at the same time, as I was trying to explain, a, com- a complexity as well. But that's what's fascinating about any yeah. food culture.
1: And not to mention mountains in between these small villages and um, who knows, rivers, fjords and so forth that are, that are yeah. keeping everyone in, in their own sort of traditions a little bit. Um, I, I think that's that's really wonderful that you're sharing that. Do you think that um, most Norwegians know that, you know, a certain dish came from Iceland or I don't know, um, all these like sort of backstories and histories of these iconic dishes?
2: You know, I would I, I would probably say it's just like anywhere where, you know, you, you get so used to growing up in something that you don't necessarily look behind mm-hmm. it. You don't need to understand why. You just kind of go with it because it's always been that way. Mm-hmm. Whereas it's easy for me coming from an outsider's point of view. Because, number one, I'm fascinated by history and culture, mm-hmm. and I'm looking for it. So it's easy for me to find these answers. Whereas I, I don't think normally you would spend as much time trying to understand the history behind it even though it's very interesting. Um, but I know that if I was to look at where I come from I probably wouldn't have spent yeah. near as right, much right. time or, yeah. or have the knowledge for it. But I think that's just right. that's anywhere you go. Something about being so immersed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I do feel that when I do, if I, I always try every recipe that I put out, I try to involve the history behind it or, or the story that goes with it, because there's so much more to just the plate itself. And I I do get the feedback that people are, are, they love reading about it. They love understanding more about what it is. And so that's nice. That's nice to hear that people enjoy that part of it.
1: And I love cookbooks that do that. So i really, really appreciate your cookbook. And, um, I love that you don't shy away from these really traditional recipes too, even though, you know, as you admit, we live in a global food supply these days where we have an abundance (laughs) of ingredients at our disposal, not to mention refrigeration, yet you still have recipes for how to preserve lamb, you know, cured lamb leg, for instance, hot smoked mackerel you, um, and for many of you Norwegians perhaps reading this, this is like nostalgic, but for myself in a concrete jungle, I find this excitingly new. For instance, you know, taking, um, what, what did you write? You had, um, a fish cooked on a stone over a hot fire in the middle of the forest. That flavor is, um, something that, that sounds pretty new to me, (laughs) but... (laughs) Um, yeah what can we learn about you know sharing these older traditions and, and keeping them going
2: yeah I, th- I think it's so important it's so valuable uh, and you, you learn something new because when we have that knowledge I think we can create even more we can be inspired to do more as well
3: mm-hmm.
2: and it's important that we have these because you know this is where the food really comes from if you understand preservation curing And, and, you know, you can do so much more. You have so much more just knowledge in your culinary, you know, background than if you don't know it. And Mm -hmm. I think, it you know, it it belongs to the food culture. This has shaped the food culture. It's such an ingrained part of it that you can't overlook it. And at the same time, what I try to do is I, I balance it out with the traditions and then using just Norwegian ingredients in maybe a little bit more creative ways or fun ways. That's my challenge to Mm -hmm. myself is to, you know, try to think about what grows here, what's natural here, and then create from that. So you get a bit of both because I think they're they're both really important. They both shape how we look at the food. The food is changing, but at the same time it still stays the same. And there's something about when something just carries on and it keeps Mm. to the culture. And there's so much change in the world. There's so many new things coming in. We have access to everything now. That it's nice to still have those things that, you know, were, we're a part of the culture and then they remain and they're being passed down because it is something about having something that is yours, mm-hmm. that is you, belongs to this place that you can keep sharing mm-hmm. with the younger generation. And of course, those skills come in handy being able to cook over a fire, know how to even cook a fire mm-hmm. so that you're not stranded and you you can't sit there and think, oh, you know, what do I do now? Because I'm only used to shopping at the grocery store. <laughs> I just think there's, there, you know, there, and as, as great as that is, I mean, it's nice to have these skills that you might come in handy one day. Yeah. And if they don't come in handy, they're really fun. That's how, you know, that's how we all started eating out in the first place was over fire. And there's a community aspect to it as well. And the sharing between each other that happens when you make food by, by hand. Mm-hmm. instead of relying on flavors and things from everywhere else. It's, it's what can you make? And uh, it's a lot of love that goes into that, a lot of love that's been made to help preserve these things.
1: Absolutely. And it sounds, it sounds really, really tasty, too. So I want to talk um, more about some of your really, really creative and interesting and traditional recipes um, just after a quick little commercial break, and we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Heritage Foods. Heritage Foods was founded to sell ancient breeds of livestock and poultry that were becoming extinct, largely because industrial agriculture willfully pushed healthy heritage breeds aside for more profitable, faster-growing animals. Rare heritage breeds are saved when popular demand increases and farmers have the incentive to raise them. This Thanksgiving, we encourage you to buy a turkey from Frank Reese's Good Shepherd Poultry Ranch.
3: Frank's turkeys are 100% purebred heritage, 100% pasture-raised,
1: and 100% antibiotic-free. Turkeys are available in two-pound increments. You choose your size. Don't wait. Pre-order your Heritage Thanksgiving turkey today at heritagefoods.com. All right, we're back chatting more with Nevada Berg, expert, author, blogger of North Wild Kitchen, and we're talking about Norwegian food. So, Nevada, you were saying that the national dish is this lamb and cabbage stew called foricle. Um, But what are some other sort of hallmarks of, of Norwegian cuisine? What are some, some of the sort of, I guess, you know, signature Norwegian um, foods that we should know about?
2: Kathy? Yes. Hi. Are you there? Sorry, I've got music playing in my ear. Oh, oh. there we go. Okay, sorry about <laughs> okay, that. Okay, sorry. I, I, just, I didn't hear a thing you said, so you'll have to say it over. <laughs> no problem.
1: We were jamming some, some tunes to you just know, for fun, just extra. Out. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we thought you could use it. I'm um, just kidding. Um, so anyway. I was just saying, yeah. So what are some like hallmarks of Norwegian cuisine, um, other than forical, um, that we should know about? to kind of get grounded in Norwegian cuisine. Um, Any other sort of famous or ingredients, um, things like that?
2: Yeah, there's, um, you know, Norway is obviously known for the the coast and the coastline. Mm -hmm. So it's fish. It's amazing seafood. Some of the best quality you can get. Um, Herring, yeah. And it's, no, you know, fish soup. soup. Fish cakes. Fisca caca, uh-huh. yeah, fisca caca, and you know we have um, my, one of my favorites on the coast is bacalao, which is the which is actually the, the Portuguese and mm. Spanish word yeah. for for the dried fish, dried salted fish. But um, Cod, it's become yeah. uh, in Christian Sun, it's it's like the dish, and it's just what they adopted and, and during the the trade when the Spanish came over, and so it I know, which is really interesting because it's you know tomatoes and oil, olive oil, and it's, okay. you know, red peppers, and it's just, uh, it's a it's a delicious dish, but it's very much become, you know, a Norwegian dish. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, we're in the fall, and, well, we're at the end of fall now, but we have, of course, apple cake, and, mm. which is one of my favorites, and now we're in hunting season. So, mm-hmm. in our area, we have, it's it's quite a big area for hunting, so there's moose, there's reindeer, there's grouse. Grouse, um, Yep. Grouse, which is the the bird, uh, let's try that. Yeah, that's the English. It's Sometimes sort of like I'm like, Wait, that was the English, um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> <And>, you know, <laughs> and I'm just trying to think. We have some, yeah, we have so oh, many left, yeah. the baked, Lefza, goods, okay, you know, mm-hmm. you got to go with the bola, which is the kind of cinnamon buns, and that's the interesting thing about Norwegian baked goods is that most of them contain cardamom, Ooh. which is a spice you wouldn't really associate necessarily with Norway, but. Uh-huh. It's in everything. And so to us that's the spice of uh of Norway. Is right. cardamom. And so we have cinnamon rolls and, and just lots of uh, waffles, of course, and mm-hmm. pancakes, which are more similar. The Norwegian pancake is more similar to a crepe. Okay. It and looks... I don't actually have that one in the cookbook. Mm-hmm. Um perhaps the next one. But uh <laughs> sweet so buns with cardamom. mm mm-hmm. See the,
1: the... Yeah and mm-hmm. but go ahead. Oh no, no. Um I was just going to mention, actually, the wild nettle and honey cake in your book. It oh, looks yeah. like nettles. Um, it's fascinating. It sounds like you dis- you found research that nettles have been discovered in Norwegian burial, you know, uh, Norwegian Viking burial ships from around 800 AD or so. So they were eating nettles since
2: yeah they were were eating it and and they're using it for their clothing because the fibers of nettle is really strong okay instead of having cotton you would use nettle as well to to um create clothing and nettle is amazing because it actually is one of those things where yes you can eat it you can make clothing out of it it can be a fertilizer for your garden so it's actually medicinal too right yeah and medicinal and it's so it's one of those things that you know it's it's horrible when you get a bunch brushed against your skin because it gives you all itchy and poppy. Yeah, I was <laughs> just
1: thinking about wearing a nettle shirt. and I'm like, ah, that must be all itchy,
2: <laughs> right? Yeah, it might you, be. Maybe the way they process it, yeah, you... out all the sting. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but but it was, and you know what's what's quite typical of the Norwegian dishes. You will find a nettle soup, yeah, and that's the most common, or say nettle tea. So nettle tea, and nettle soup. But I wanted to come up with something, a different way of using nettle. So that's your creation. And own we have a creation. lot of honey. Huh. Awesome. Yeah. So this is my own creation. And it was, you know, we have a lot of bees and hun- local honey around. And so it just kind of, I thought, oh, wouldn't it be fun if we did something sweet with nettle instead of it always being savory?
1: I love that uh, you so mashed I, it up. Yeah. Go on.
2: Yeah. And so, yeah, honey and nettle delicious and that's why I also have the mini nettle pavlovas Mm. because I again wanted to kind of play off of a bit of that sweet like something you wouldn't expect nettle to be in Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's so diverse it's such a diverse superfood so 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 those are kind of the fun innovations. uh,
1: Yeah and I I love that you know it makes a cake a little bit more nutritious too just kind of hide the greens in there right in the cake batter. Yeah um, exactly. Absolutely, it looks great. Um, also, you have Norwegian meatballs in here with a creamed cabbage side dish, which also looks yep. delicious. Um, are the meatballs similar to the Swedish meatballs um, we've all had at IKEA?
2: <laughs> and um, R- right? Are, are they the <laughs> same or? <laughs> Oh, it's a story. They're are a bit, uh, you know, they're a little bit different. And a mm-hmm. Norwegian will tell you, and a Swedish person will they'll say, yes, there's the difference. And mm-hmm. I I would say that the Norwegian meatball is larger. The okay. Swedish ones are quite small. They're quite condensed. They're in that you know that brown gravy.
3: Yes. And the
2: Norwegian ones tend to be much bigger, and they are as well cooked into a brown sauce. But okay. Um, and they're both they're both served with with the lingonberry. I think it's still kind of a traditional. I'm not sure if the Swedish do creamed cabbage. It's, mm. it's either served with creamed cabbage or with the creamed um, pea. So okay. I'm not sure if they they do that. But it is different. It's a little different. It'd be interesting to do kind of a bit of a taste off.
1: I want to try really that. The yeah, yeah. I definitely want to try the creamed cabbage too. That sounds like a fun new way of doing it um, for me at least. <laughs> so you also no, it have- is, it is. Oh, awesome. You also have this like twisted, okay, this is, I need to do this on my next camping or anytime there's a bonfire. You took some bread dough, some yeast risen bread dough, and twisted it around a stick and then put it directly on the fire to make a twisted bread with carrots and oats over a fire. So this is a common thing, pina pina brod. It's. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is. It is. It's, a, it's, it's very normal. It's very typical. Um, the carrot and the oats is kind of my throwing in there. Okay. Uh, something a bit different. But no, it's very normal. You can also cover it with like they'll do cover it with cinnamon and sugar. So mm. it becomes more of a sweet bread as a dessert. But it's a really great thing because it can be quite versatile once you just have the basic dough. Yeah. You can add in different flavors. You can make it savory or sweet. You can My dip
1: first it into things. Th- thought is, can I make like a Stromboli in there, and you know, with Ooh. like pepperoni and cheese,
2: and definitely <laughs> okay. And I think you should. And and that's kind of like my hope with the cookbook is because there are ingredients in here that might not be available in everyone's um, area. Mm-hmm. The idea is that yes, there, I I do provide substitutes, but at the same time, I want to inspire people because that's how we. We should cook. We should yeah. look at something and think, oh, okay, maybe I could fill it with that. That would be really great. Or, oh, I don't have that ingredient, but I do have this that's growing local. So I would hope people would sure. look around what they have and kind of their own taste and just be inspired and think, oh, I'm going to make it, but I'm, I can make it my own way too.
1: Mm-hmm. Can we, for instance, what would you suggest we substitute for reindeer?
2: Um, for reindeer, you know, if you can get any other... Venison. Type of like a, another type of uh, could be oh, I'm trying to think now moose or elk, but if not, if you can't get any kind of wild meat, you know you can definitely go with beef mm-hmm. by all means. It's okay. not going to have that same kind of hardiness to it, but you know I still think the flavors will come out. So I,
1: mm-hmm.
3: I think
2: if if you can't do it, try it with beef until okay. you're able to get it with something.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm gonna definitely. I mean. All these dishes, like the hearty stews and, you know, stuffed cabbage here you have, it just looks so tempting, and I'm sure, you know, it's, it's about the little things, like the, the berries that are there and, you know, featured here and there, the herbs that are used, like as you mentioned, so um, I'm sure it'll be a kind of new taste sense anyway, and um, we're running out of time, but I want to talk about this Rum Grotte ice cream that you have. It looks so beautiful.
2: Yeah, this is um, this is it's it's quite it's quite a fun dish actually. This is it's it's um, it's my take on, and the name of it is rumagret, which is okay. a sour cream <laughs> Obviously porridge. Obviously,
1: I can't speak Norwegian. Don't worry,
2: don't worry. <laughs> yeah, I still can't get Norwegian words right. So it's, no, don't worry. Um, anyway, so rumagret is a it's porridge. It's made of um, sorry, sour cream and. Um, basically, flour and you kind of stir it up, and you add a bit of milk in there, and you just stir it, stir it until it becomes this really beautiful porridge. And and the the fat content is really high in the sour cream here, so um, butter rises to the top. And then you pour mm-hmm. that on the top where you serve it with cinnamon and sugar. Okay. And of course, I have that recipe in here yes. as well. Mm-hmm. But it's traditionally linked with the summer high holidays, which would mm-hmm. be midsummer, and then there's like two other um, religious high holidays in July. And it was really hot, and there was one time when I thought, I just don't want to make a it, to be honest. Okay. And yeah. so, and I thought, well, what can I do? You know, what, how can I play on that? And it was hot, and I thought, well, let's do ice cream because, you know, it's a, it's a great time yeah. of year, and everyone's eating ice cream. And my first memory of ice cream in Norway was when I was in Bergen with my husband's family, and we're waiting in line, and they take this kind of soft-serve ice cream, in the cone, and what they do is they dip it into a, like a chocolate powder, which mm-hmm. is kind of like chocolate milk, like the powder, and they just covered it. And I never seen that before. And I thought that's yeah. really fascinating. So I kind of connected that memory and thought, how fun it would be to then take a, a sour cream-based ice cream, which is the good, yeah. put it in the cone, and then sprinkle the cinnamon and the sugar all, all over. over the top yeah. of it. And also what you tend to serve it with when you're, when you're at the summer farm, that's kind of during the summer, of course, when the dish is mainly in its high season, you will serve it with this dried sheep leg, the one that we we talked about earlier. Mm. And it's kind of cut and it's cured. So it's a cured sheep leg. And they would serve it alongside it. So I thought, oh, well, to kind of play on that as well, you could fry, cut a few pieces up, fry them so they're kind of crispy Ooh. and top it on the ice cream as well. So then you get Salty, the complete sweet. Yeah. room and grit mm. meal. In one, that's And so, cool. so it's just, yeah, so it's, it's my play on um, if it's summer and it's hot and you're like, oh, I really don't feel like a hot bowl of uh, sour cream porridge, maybe I can do that. Yes, instead so. <laughs> of a
1: hot porridge, sweet <laughs> porridge, it's a cold, yeah. creamy dessert. I love it. Yes, and yes. That is and it's just, very good. That's a really great example of, um, you know, taking these older traditions and making them something that you like in a little bit of a new way and uh I I love that you've done this so lovingly throughout this book um so I guess that's about all the time we have for today but I can't wait to tell more people about this book share it around um it is just out from Prestel North Wild Kitchen and Nevada thank you so much for talking to us today
2: yeah thank you so much it was such a pleasure.
1: Awesome. So thanks, everyone, at Heritage. We'll see you next week on Eat Your Words.
3: Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org.